Well, hi guys. Great to see you. Thank you very much for being here. I'd be alone otherwise, so uh, it's really good to see you. Very good to see you. Um, today uh, is Vision Sunday, and if you're new here, um, that's a welcome again. And let me just say, this is a good time to be here then. You get an essence of I trust through this day, through what I say, get the essence of who we are and what we are about. So if you have a Bible, we're not going to rush in there, but I'd like you to put your finger in at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now that will come up on screen a little bit later because um, I, I just want to explain a little bit here. I have deliberately, I have deliberately taken this passage... Not yet. I have deliberately taken this passage because it helps to reflect our mission statement. Now, that's a mission statement that as elders we have looked at, we have prayed about, we have talked about, we've discussed, and we just settled on our mission statement. You know, from Easter, March the 27th this year, we'll be in two sites. And we have contact with larger churches and churches that have done this sort of thing. And they, you know, we know that the larger you become, the more diversified you become and the more complex you become. And therefore, it is all the more important that we're able to convey our mission irrespective of whatever site we're at. If we are of kings, whether it's Hazelmere or Town Center, this, we want to put a clear mission statement. This is what we're about. One church, one mission statement. I'm not building up a big fanfare here. We wanted a simple, memorable, meaningful statement that reflected who we are and what we're about. Basically, something of our DNA. So, um, so this is it, really. It's, our mission is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That, that is our mission statement. We just felt as elders this fitted. We felt actually it, this was us. It was our heart to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. So last week I was so encouraged. You know, if you weren't here last week and we had our 21st anniversary of coming into this building, download the, the interviews that were had and the personal stories of where the church has come from and how, it's, and, and, and how it has evolved. Hear that. And, and on those interviews, there were just a couple of times, and the people said, you know, we we're just ordinary people whom God had met. I just loved that. I just thought, brilliant. And that was not knowing what we were going to do today. It was just, that's what they said. So ordinary people, not superstars, not renowned ministries, not specials. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. So I wonder if we can just say that together, please. That's a... Our mission is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. I'm going to unpack that in a moment in Mark's gospel. Let's just say it again. Our mission is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. And that's why I chose this passage, because I wanted to pick up and thread out our mission statement through that. So we're going to Mark 1, we're going to read verses 1 to 20, and I'm going to move at pace. So stay with me, but this is how Mark writes it. I mean, he writes it 
you know, if you've read Mark, he writes it in a really pacey way. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came. Baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me one will come. Will come one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he caught with them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, I want to give a bit of context here, and then I want to thread in ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. Because that's who received. These are ordinary people changed by Jesus. That's who received this gospel. So it's written in about AD 65. There's huge persecution going on in Rome. And these Christians in Rome, they're the scapegoats. I mean, they're crucified. They're executed. They're in arenas with wild beasts. You name it, they have it. And That's why Mark starts with this first line. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is why he starts like that. It's important you understand that. Because this is what they were confessing. So he doesn't have any preliminaries. He just goes straight in. I mean, there's a pace and urgency, incredible clarity with his writing. And Mark wants to grab their attention right from the off. So look at that line again. The beginning of the gospel, that's good news, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark puts a marker in the ground to these people who've been changed by Jesus Christ. He sticks the marker in. He gets straight into it. It's absolutely deliberate why he writes that. Because this is who Jesus is. And they're under immense persecution. And there's two confessions going on here in this first line. Because they would be hauled before the Roman magistrates. 
And they would be, they would be <laughs> threatened if they did not acknowledge Caesar as Lord, as Caesar's their lordship. But they didn't. This is, what, this is what they said. They said they spoke of Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed one. Messiah. Jesus Christ. The Jesus, the Son of God. This was their confession before the Roman magistrates. Refusing to acknowledge the lordship of Caesar. The one they, were, they would acknowledge only the one who had changed their lives. This is their confessions. So as soon as they read this, they go, yes, this is true. This is the real Jesus. And that's what Mark does. He just puts a mark in it. This is the real Jesus. It was to strengthen them and encourage the believers that at this time of trial, the one you follow, The one who has changed your life, he's the real Jesus. This gospel is about him. My friends, if you want to find out about the real Jesus, get to the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just read the life of Jesus. Mark especially, it's like, and immediately, and at once. And I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of super powered. It really will help you. It's a great, it's great writing. One novelist, having read the work of prominent biblical scholars, realized that the whole picture of Jesus, which had floated around in liberal circles of him being non-divine, who stumbled into Jerusalem, somehow got himself crucified by somebody, she realized this perspective, which she had frequented as an atheist, she realized it was utterly unfounded. And as she read biblical scholars, she realized that that sort of thinking was a case without substance. This Jesus, of whom Mark writes, is the real thing. He is the real Jesus. He is the real Messiah. He is the real Son of God. And so these believers are taking hold of this word. And it's a sense of, yes. So Mark launches right in. This is who he is. This is the Jesus who changes their lives, who has changed their lives. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. These early believers literally put their lives on the line. They didn't do it, you know, we're going to now start up a new faith. Or or just we're going to join a religion. It wasn't about that. It was about this person, Jesus. He had changed their life. You know, this is their story. I want to say, this is our story too. There are your stories here. This is our story too, that Jesus has changed our life. You know, I'm all for church. I'm all for church. <laughs> but it's messy, isn't it? I mean, it's real messy. And the best, look, I hold up my hands and they are not clean. I, I have done, I've made a mess myself in the church. You know, I, I've done messy church. And I've been part of it. I I understand that. And you can all say amen at this point, but quietly. And you know what? Whatever you do, you know, you can call the church what you like. You can put a name to it, and you can do a a multi site church. You can have a house church. You can have an emerging church. 
And I'm really pleased what we're doing in Hazelmere. I'm really pleased that we're going to have a town center site and a Hazelmere site. I'm really delighted with that. But you know who changes lives? It's Jesus. I mean, the church, I trust, would be a signpost. But my friends, it's the person of Jesus who changes lives. There's a friend of mine who comes, and uh, he's here normally in the first meeting, and he had a history, a history of depression. I mean, like depression. I mean, this just wasn't a, a bad day, an occasional bad day. I mean, this went on for years. I mean, he had tablets and all the rest of it. Absolutely. I mean, his, his wife, bless him, she brought him to this church when it was much smaller. She brought him to this room and they, and they worshipped God and, and he sat there in the middle of this. And he just cried. And he wept and he wept and he wept throughout the whole meeting. And in that meeting, Jesus changed his life. Hallelujah. Ordinary person, changed by Jesus. And he's brilliant with others. Absolutely brilliant. But it changed his life. I mean, it's utterly changed his life. There'd be story after story I could tell you about that. I got uh, one here. I won't mention names here. And they write in this sort of magazine... They come to this church. It was quite like, unlike. So the person who's writing says, it was quite unlike any church service I'd known as a child. They were people who had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They talked to him. He was alive. I was impressed by people's general, genuine interest in us and their willingness to help. And he was just on their, their marriage was just about to break up. He said, the day before I was due to move out, I was sitting in my office at home when something I can't explain happened. I had an overwhelming awareness of the reality of God, and I knew that I wasn't meant to walk out on my marriage. I went into the kitchen, and I said, we're going to sort out our marriage. And under the grace and the kindness of God, they did, and they have, and they're still married. And they're going strong. Why? Because he's the Jesus that changes people's lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think it's wonderful. You see, my friends, this gospel is good news. It's, it's not good advice. The gospel is good news. I mean, it's transformation, not mere information. That's what the gospel is. That's why Mark comes like that. The good news. Jesus Christ, Son of God, changes people. He changes lives, makes people a new creation. And hence Jesus says words like, you must be born again. He knows that it has to happen on the inside out. We're desperate for our situations to change. We're desperate for our circumstances to get sorted out. But inside, Jesus makes us a new person in Christ, a new creation. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit. It's the Jesus that changes lives. That's why he said you must be born again. You know, without him, nothing happens. The good news is first and foremost, it's it's not who you are, it's who he is. It's not what you have to do, it's about what he has done. 
the real Jesus. Do you know, if you have your own version, and I've heard of many versions of Jesus, I really have. If you make up your own, one of your own desire, one of your own choosing, you'll find this Jesus always agrees with you. Never confronts, never challenges, and therefore, you'll never change. This Mark is saying, this is the real Jesus, God's own son, and his message is unequivocal. There it is in the reading there. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The story of the human race is it's just, you know, the story is we want to be king of our lives. That's the problem. And we're not God. And we know it. We want to be the center of our world. And John's been preparing the way for Jesus, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I think in our context of the English language, sin is really helpful. Did I actually say that? Sin is really helpful. I mean the word. S-I-N. Because right in the middle is the letter I. Says everything. The letter I says everything. Me, me, me. It's, it's in there. Do you know there's nothing more miserable than self-centeredness? There's nothing more disintegrating to your life than constantly taking the temperature gauge of me. How am I feeling? Am I a success? Am I being treated justly? What do people think of me? Do people like me? What about my needs? What about my wants? Do you know, if you, that world is exhausting. It's endless. Jesus changes lives. And it becomes about him and not about you. The darkness of self-centeredness, my friends, has caused strife and relational breakdown and family bust-ups all through the centuries. And the letter I sits right in the middle. Mark wants to understand, we don't have to live like this. See, God stepped into our story. That's the wonder. God stepped into our story. He didn't, st- he didn't stay in heaven and wag his finger at us and go, you naughty lot of people. He didn't do that. Or he didn't say, that's it. I'm off. Had enough. I'm going to go and work it out with another planet. I'm going to start again. He didn't do that. He came. God stepped into our world. That's the gospel. Jesus, the Messiah. The Son of God. You're not on your own. It's wonderful. Absolutely amazing. He's not Pilate. At the trial of Jesus, who washed his hands and said, I don't want to take any responsibility. No. God doesn't do that. Not at all. Even in your worst, worst, worst day, he doesn't do that. He's for you and not against you. He has stepped into he stepped into our story. At a cost we will never understand. But wonderfully stepped into our story to change lives. 
changed by Jesus. This is his mission. And this is our mission too. He changes people's lives. Well, some of you might say, and I've heard this, you know, well, I, I sort of believe in God, but, but, you know, he would never help someone like me. Neil, you have not a clue the things I have done and the places I have been and who I have been with. You do not know. Listen, you don't know me either. And you don't know what I have done and the places I have been. And I know all those feelings of humiliation when I think about those things. I know all of that, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You can have a free, you can have a freedom in Christ, a new life in Christ. It makes a bag of difference. It really does. Hallelujah. Well, you know, I sort of believe, but um, I could never live the Christian life. I just couldn't live the Christian life, and I've heard that. Do you know? I couldn't live the Christian. I just couldn't live the Christian life. Listen. When he steps into your life, he walks with you. You're not left on your own. He walks with you. He walks with you, my friends. And it's ordinary people. You look who Jesus chooses. They are fishermen. Fishermen. Now, I don't want to knock them. This is Peter, Andrew, James, John. But they are ordinary people. And what's more, they come from Galilee. You can't get more ordinary than Galilee. Galilee is ordinary, ordinary. You don't come from Galilee, do you? I mean, it's a derogatory term almost. Galileans, you know, them lot. You know, he, he chooses ordinary people. It's amazing. He steps into a story and this is what he says. Come on, repent. It's an unequivocal message. He's straight in. Repent. Repent means change direction. Here's change direction. I'm walking this way. I am walking this way. And I, to change direction, repent means I go in the opposite direction. I am walking this way and life is about me. And it's centered around me and my world. But when I repent, when I change direction, it's walking the opposite way. And I am going for Jesus. And I, am going for, and I want to live my life for him. That's what it is. That's what repentance is. I don't know about you. Uh, sat navs have recently come into our domain. And um, when you take a wrong direction on a sat nav, uh, some of them, uh, I've been putting this, looking this up on Google, some of them, I don't know if they still do it, but some of them used to go recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Uh, this just irritated people. I mean, it just highly irritated people, recalculating, recalculating. And um, I, so I took mine out yesterday. <laughs> I, I took my sat-nav for a drive. I took my sat-nav for a drive yesterday. And I, I deliberately am going in the wrong direction. Go on, go on, tell me, go on, tell me. I deliberately go in the wrong direction. And this person was so polite. She was female as well. So... <laughs> It's just the, how polite are you? It's, it's a, and I, 
I wanted to. I wanted to do. It wanted me to said. It wanted me to do a U-turn, but it said, "At the next. What have I got here? Was it? Oh yeah. That's at the next available opportunity. Turn around." I thought, "How sweet!" And I kept going straight on. And then she said to me, "And she is not my wife. This is the satnav person." She said. At the next available opportunity, turn around. And I just kept going. At the next, I thought, this person is incredibly polite. I've heard this is a male thing, by the way. Now you can come to me afterwards and talk to me about that. But I heard this is a male thing that men won't stop. They don't like asking for directions. Apparently this happens in our car as well. Why don't you just stop? And ask somebody directions. No, I know how to get out of this. I know how to get out of this. I know how to do that. I don't want to stop. I'll keep going in the wrong direction. Sometimes, the Spirit of God says, recalculating. It's time to change direction. Just sometimes. It might be today. At the next available opportunity... Turn around. Could be today. This could be you. Turn around. Turn around. And where you are, here, this is me. I get stubborn about changing direction. I'm so stubborn that many years ago I was on the motorway. It was dark. But that didn't mean to say I couldn't see, read signs. So I was going along the motorway and I saw this sign. And as I read it for this place, it indicated to me that I was going in the wrong direction up the motorway. Now, don't get me wrong, I wasn't, I wasn't in, I wasn't going, you know, cars weren't coming at me. But I just knew, I was going, I should be going in the other direction. And I looked at that sign and said, rubbish. (laughs) Rubbish. That's just rubbish. Straight on. And then as the distance got on, I just felt a little bit uneasy. And then another signpost came. I thought, I'd better pay attention to that one. And I got around. I could turn around and got on the other side of the motorway. And you, you laugh at that, don't you? Like, that is stupid. Don't you think that's stupid? It's amazing, though, isn't it? How, how does something like that happen? And then God, in his infinite wisdom, I don't know what it is. It, it's just risk, God. God said, I'll tell you what, I'll use them in leadership in a church. (laughs) Oh, you poor people. You poor people. I mean, that is the grace of God. That is just the grace of God, my friends. So, now you've seen me warts and all. Um, Listen, you can be a Christian and in a church and in a small group. And God's word could be today for you. Recalculating. You know what? I've been talking to you for a long time. Come on. Let's get back to where we started. This is about me. Let's, let's just have a relationship together. It's about having a relationship together. You know, with all this church, church, church stuff, I can get, I can get easily distracted from Jesus to church. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, my friends. Ordinary people changed by Jesus. All these ordinary people don't have to be as pig-headed and stubborn as me. But it just takes ordinary people, does Jesus. 
If you read the Gospels, you look at Jesus' small group, that's something else. I mean, John and James, whom he, he calls them sons of thunder. Don't think too deeply. But why do you think he says that? Why do you think he says that? Just read the Gospels, you'll find out. He's got the sons of thunder in his small group. And then there's Thomas. And Thomas, you know, you read things that Thomas says. He doesn't come out as a really positive person in a group. He always seems quite negative to Thomas. Oh, wow. And then you've got Simon a zealot. A zealot. You've got all this in one small group. Whew. Think you've got a small group. Try this one. But he has got them in a small group. And Peter has a knack of speaking without thinking. Well, join the club. It's not promising. It's not promising. And then you find in the book of Acts, Peter and John are before the Jewish authorities. This is called the Sanhedrin. And they're standing before them because a man they have healed, the Sanhedrin can't get over. And they have healed him in the name of Jesus. And the Jewish authorities have major problems with this. Major problems. But they stand their ground. These are the guys who ran away. They are now standing their ground. Ordinary people changed by Jesus. And this is what they say. They saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. I'll tell you, he makes the difference. My friends, ordinary people changed by Jesus. It's just, it's the way he does it. It's the word of God. And what's more, he chooses us. He chooses us. it's, It's miraculous. We all need the grace of God. We need undeserved favor. And God never starts with the finished article. It's always working at work in us. We're never the finished article. He never thought when you responded to me that, thank goodness, wow, now we can really get going. He never thought like that. He knows what we're like. He knows what we're like. It's the grace of God. Changed by Jesus to change the world. Follow me, Jesus says. I'll make you fishers of men. Look, I'll walk into your story, you walk into my story, and now I want you to step into other people's story. That's what we're called to do. Ordinary people, changed by Jesus to change the world. God wants us to step into the story of others. That's why we are involved with Christians Against Poverty. And Ian and Nikki are very much involved with that. The crippling debt that people face, it breaks them apart. They don't, know, they don't know what to do from one minute to the next. They don't know what to do with one letter that comes through the door to the next. We can make a difference in people's lives. When Ian and Nicky go and visit these people, we've had, I think, four people, as Ian said, four people have responded to the gospel. But there's many others who've had debts absolutely sorted because they've been in making a difference in their lives. 
Uh, Ian and Nikki, when they, when they go, they, on their first visit, they always ask the person, would you like us to pray for you? And most times people say yes. And they also have a card. And on the card is their story. It's brief. It's non-religious. But it's their story of what Jesus has done in their life. And they offer to leave it at that person's house. And they, get, they can take this card. You want to ask them about it? It's, it's really helpful. And they, you know, we could do this wherever we go. We if a little card, brief story of what Jesus has done in our life. Drop it with somebody. It's making a difference in people's lives. Changed by Jesus to change the world. We're here to make a difference. That's why we're involved with the Wickham Homeless Connection. We're here to make a difference. Elements on a Friday night. It's for young people. It's youth. Secondary age. In here on a Friday night, there's 90 to 100 of them. Most of them are not from a Christian background, and most of them do not go to church. Is it comfortable? What do you think? Is it comfortable? No. But they're making a difference in people's lives. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do this. Hazelmere, town center, ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. It doesn't have to be a big venture. Jesus did small and unnoticed things. He spoke with obscure people like a lady at the well, a disgraced prostitute, a tax collector. Mother Teresa says, don't try to do great things for God. Do small things with great love. I really like that. Be kind to the person at the till. Be friendly to the person who's on the bus. You just give them a smile, not a scout. You know, do, do, do little things that will help the lives of other people. Talk about Jesus. I, you, know, you know, I play golf and all the rest of it. And I, I'm, people ask me about my church and all the rest of it. When they give me an, an, an opening... And they why did you do that? Why did you, why did you, why did you do this? I said, oh, I, I, I used to hate church. That, that gets attention. And then I say, do you know what? It's because I found that Jesus was real, that he was a real person. Now, either they can take that on, or they can go, mm, that's enough. But it's a good line. I found this Jesus is a real person. You know, because four out of ten people believe he's a myth. And I, they're on golf courses, you see. They're everywhere. Not all of them. Not all. This is going out on a <laughs> website. Anyway, um, look, ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. Are we going to tell people? Are we going to keep it to ourselves? Jesus makes the difference. I tell you what. Ordinary people, because we have an extraordinary God. Amen.